Welcome to a talk from St Saviour's Sunbury. We hope it blesses you. Our reading, or two readings really. First of all, from Isaiah chapter 7. Very short reading. Isaiah 7.13 Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Not an awfully auspicious start. What does all that mean? Well, let's try a second version. The angel of the Lord explains what that means. So now fast forward into Matthew 1. When Joseph was worrying about Mary being pregnant and what he should do about it, thinking he was not the father. After he considered whether he was going to divorce her or not, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Familiar words. They trip off the tongue. But I wonder if we could just say them two or three times out loud because the magnitude of what they mean probably doesn't sink in straight away. God with us. We say it together. God with us. We'll try it three times more and change the emphasis each time. First time we'll emphasize the God and then the with and then the us. So you do it three times over and we'll start to see where we're at with this. God with us. God with us. God with us. You see where I'm coming from? three words and we've got pretty much the whole universe in front of us. I spend most of my life in science and I love all matters scientific. I'm a bit out of date with a lot of the modern stuff but nonetheless we love David Attenborough programs, we love Brian Cox or Jim Al-Khalili and others. Fantastic stuff. We live in a fantastic world. I spent all my life marveling at what God's done and how he's done it. What you never get in these programs is why he's done it. For what purpose he's done it. I want you to shut your eyes for a moment. I'm going to lose all the momentum in one stroke, but I'm, I'm taking the gamble. Imagine a British Rail sign. You might not see one again for a month. 
But imagine a British Rail sign. It's like two-way communication, isn't it? That's what it's more or less like. It's like arrows going both ways. This is what God made man, or woman, mankind, for. We're different from all the rest of creation, specifically in this one thing. I'm saying as a scientist, I'm not talking about how we were made. We know bits about that, not much, but we know some. Why we were made is because God is love, and love needs an object. You can't just, it's not a sentiment, it's a deed, it's an action, it's a relationship. And the idea of making man, particularly mankind, was that God could show his love to us, and we could show our love to him. God with us, us with God. That's how it started. In relationship, God with us in that intimacy of that initial relationship. Jess brilliantly spoke last week about a parable saying what happened next. In the parable, it was the, the farmer had sowed good wheat uh, or good seed and made wheat like a nice good creation. God saw it was very good. And then an enemy came and sowed weeds. We know the Garden of Eden type of story that the enemy was sowing the weeds of doubt, the weeds of independence from God and disobedience. And the result of those weeds is all abundant with us outside in all the sin, the depravity and horror of the things that go wrong, whether with knives or bullets or divorces or with, you know, there's so much evil out there as a result of that one act of disobedience. And the story that we have to try and fast forward through, um, I'll, I'll outline it in case we run out of time. I've got 11 minutes, I think. Uh, that relationship was fractured. The two-way relationship was fractured because of man's disobedience. You only need to read a few chapters into the Old Testament and you see how catastrophically quickly everything degenerated and fell apart as a consequence of that. But God didn't give up on us. He didn't run out on us, as we sang earlier. God's love doesn't give up. It never gave up. And the story seen through God's eyes of the Old Testament is him reaching out in acts of love and bounty. And it didn't work. People took it and said thanks and then carried on with their own lives. He gave them the law and said, well, no, this is how to do it. I'll give you guidelines. But they didn't want to do it. And they kept on disobeying. Then he punished them. and said, if you're that, you know, bad things are going to happen to you. And it still didn't work. And the whole story is very frustrating for God. Because he's trying his best to win man back and it's not happening. The story that we've broken into with that completely out of context verse occurs way down the story. I don't know whether you've counted up. I didn't do the arithmetic very accurately. I'm not a historian. But it took 
the Israelites something like four to five hundred years to achieve getting into the promised land. So every time they took one step forward, they took three or four backwards, and it just took much longer than they ought to have done. It was right until the end of King David's reign, way into the story, before all the wars ended, and Solomon was about the first king that didn't have wars on his hands. So he became, well, a rich capitalist, and there's all sorts of other things that we can say about him. And do you know, before the end of his reign, one generation... The whole enterprise that God worked so hard at, shepherding these wretched people, stiff-necked, stubborn, disobedient people, within one generation, it was already falling apart. And they had a referendum after he died. I've heard of referendums. They're not re- <laughs> the result of the referendum was not 5149. The referendum result in percentages is more like 83-17. Or in whole numbers, 10 tribes voted Brexit, only two were left. The 10 tribes voted to go back to being pagan. God's people, 10 tribes. Only Judah and Jerusalem. I worked it out the other day looking at the map. It's about the size of Hampshire. That was all that's left after all that hundreds of years of effort. And So here we have this little remnant of Judah with King Ahaz, surrounded by troubles on all sides. Well, Hampshire's not very big. You've got Putin, you've got China, you've got Trump. I don't know what he'd be interested in Hampshire, but if if there's a National Health Service, he might be. They were terrified. They were under threat of all kinds. And Isaiah was saying to him, if you don't stand in faith, you won't stand at all. It says that in the next chapter. I don't know how many of you are at a crossroads in your life making a decision. Am I going to take the scary path of trusting God or the looking for easier comforts path. Isaiah's got the word. Believe in God, it'll work out. If you don't believe me, ask for a sign that God will do it for you. And Ahaz said, I don't want a sign. My mind's made up. And he essentially sold out Israel Uh, well, Judah, what's left of the people of God. They never again got their sovereignty back. And it was at that point, that low, low point, that God said to him, well, you may not want a sign, but you're jolly well going to get one anyway. And the sign is a virgin, in days to come, is going to be with child, and he's going to be called Emmanuel. It's not much use to me, says Ahaz. I, I, this, is not, this is apocryphal, I'm guessing. What use is a child to me at the moment? He'll be 15 before he can put a sword in his hand. The Assyrians will have wiped me out by then. This is the, the mind of the flesh versus the mind of God, isn't it? The funny thing was that Isaiah went to confront 
Ahaz with his son in tow. You don't think of that. You don't think of Charlton Heston in Ten Commandments having a little boy in tow, or a girl for that matter. And yet, he had his little son in tow. And we don't read much about this. It's a bit under-publicized. But in all of these stories, the names have a meaning. And the name of his son, the meaning of it anyway, was a remnant shall return. Now, that's an economy of words for saying you're for the chop, but future generations, I epitomized by your son, are going to return. It happened a few hundred years later with Nehemiah and things, but that wasn't when um, Emmanuel was going to come. That's even longer in the future. But they were heading for judgment. God was very merciful. There were a few delays every time somebody repented a bit. He, he put the day off a little bit longer, but it did happen. They did all get chucked out of the country. They, Jerusalem was flattened. They went into exile, prisoner of war camps and all that. A pretty sorry state of affairs for somebody like a loving God who chose to reveal so much love, so much grace to an ungrateful people, unresponsive people. Fast forward a bit. Some of you may have heard a chap called J. John speak. Maybe he's spoken here or maybe you've listened. And he used to have this little one-liner uh, that summed it all up. So the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. All of what happened through you know, God doing miracles, same with Jesus doing miracles, didn't convert the people in the old days, didn't convert the Pharisees when Jesus tried it. Teaching, the Ten Commandments, didn't make people holy. It just told them they were guilty. Jesus showed the way, but didn't actually, in, it, in that event, the, the Pharisees didn't choose to follow it. Free will is deep-seated. So God is trying something different. God's trying something different. What God with us meant in the Old Testament was, you know, shepherding the people, helping them to, you know, do battles the right way so that they win and things like that. But none of that worked because the heart of the people was wrong, fundamentally wrong. This people worships me with their lips, their hearts are far from me. So, fast forward, the angel gives us the clue, gives us the answer indeed. Because not only is Jesus coming as Emmanuel, he's also, he wasn't christened Emmanuel, if you can use the word christened. He was named Jesus because that name literally means Jehovah saves, the Lord saves. Saves from what? Well, if they were listening, they wouldn't have made the mistake. They thought it was going to be saved from the Romans, but it wasn't. It was saved from their sins. That the second meaning of God with us is God the Son leaving heaven and coming to be birth with us, i.e. the world down here. It's a different kind of God with us than the Old Testament where he was veiled and 
near the ark and that sort of thing. This was God himself coming down to be born to tackle the problem of the heart of the people, not to tackle the Romans. The Romans were doing God's will, actually. They didn't think they were, nor the Greeks before them, but they were. That's why it took so long for Jesus to come, because we had to have the infrastructure. We had to have the Greeks to teach a common language. We had the Romans to build the roads and have law and order and all those sorts of things that were so beneficial when the disciples came to spread the gospel out, they could actually do it. If he'd come in Ahaz's time, we'd never know because it would have just been a local event. There would be no way of transporting the gospel news out. But Jesus came at the right time. God knows what he's doing. If you're going through it at the moment, God does know the right time. Think about that the right time we haven't got a huge amount of time we've got about 50 seconds left but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to ignore that uh, <laughs> um, because we haven't hardly got started have we God with us well he was only there for 30 years or so but he said I'm not going to leave you comfortless I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so that God with us, Mark 3, is not with the nation or in Jerusalem or Galilee. It's in us who believe. Totally new ball game. I'm going to picture a house. I've done a lot of decorating in it, so I can picture it quite well. It's a, a semi-detached house with a little corridor through from one side to the other with a door at each end. So I'm thinking, two doors. Lateral thinking, it's the thing one does sometimes, and you get into a terrible muddle. One door is the door to heaven. And Jesus opened it when he died on the cross and rose again. They weigh in. The, the temple curtain was torn apart. We could see God. The relationship, this two-way thing, was about to be established. But that's only one way. He opened the way to heaven. He took away our sins. He gave us a new, or the offer of a new heart. We'll come to that. The other door is the door of our hearts that we open to him. We want two-way relationship. Both doors open. First one opened 2,000 years ago, nearly. The second door, well, in, in, in my case, it was 61 years ago it opened. I don't know whether you've opened the door to Jesus in your life. Isaiah is very insistent that if we go our own way, we will come unstuck. If we do it God's way, we will not. It's a very simple message, actually. But somewhat powerful because who are we talking about here? God. He can do the impossible. You have to trust, somebody said it the other day, you have to trust in the invisible to achieve the impossible. I'm going to divert onto a story. Since I'm nearly out, I'm going to call this testimony time. Okay? 
on the clock. I'm buying myself some minutes here. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give you two stories if I can sneak it in. First one was I was doing a journey through Switzerland and I looked out of the window and saw uh, a valley with very steep sides and at the end a great sort of cliff and it looked like a blind alley but there was a road going down it. I was wondering, where's this road going to? There seems to be no way out. And I looked more closely and something glinted in the distance. And I could see it was a coach or a bus or something going across, like traversing this apparently sheer wall. But of course the thing is, it dawned on me from the mathematics of it all, from below you can't see the zigzag road going up the mountain. There are loads of them in Switzerland. You can travel on them, but from below you can't see the road. All you've got is the parapet made out of rock. It's a bit like with the Harrison Ford film, you know, where you can't see the mirror he has to stand on because it all looks the same as rock. Anyway, let's get back to the point. We have problems that look like a sheer wall of no way through. And until you actually keep walking towards it, you don't see where this path is. And it's not as steep by any means as the cliff itself. Maybe ten, one in ten, I don't know, not much more than that. You just take more zigs and more zags. But you get there. And you're encouraged because you can see people further up. The road does actually get somewhere. That was a message I thought God wanted me to add to what I was going to say, that it might appeal to a situation. I've, I've um, looked at the, uh, what's it called, the 12-step um, thing in the uh, recovery course. Some people know a bit about that. It could be a bit like 12, well, six zigs and six zags. You don't tackle your problem necessarily head on. You might tackle a little bit and you climb a bit and you climb a bit more, climb a bit more and you get through. It's not quite relevant to Advent but it might be relevant to somebody any time of the year, like now. Because Paul says, now is the right time to respond. If you've got a decision of whether to walk by faith or trust your own or take out extra, I don't know. There, there are lots of non-godly ways of solving problems. There's only one godly way. Strictly speaking, if we had more time, we would say that this two-way relationship we have with God, with the Holy Spirit, is going to come to full fruition when Jesus comes again. And then we'll get back to not just God in us, but us in God, in heaven forever. When all the sorrow, all the sin, the sadness, the disappointment is over. Some people have terrible burdens to bear. Some people have had terrible shocks to their system. Some people have long 
problems ahead of them that might take the rest of their lives. If you have a, a bad illness at an early stage, you're with it for the whole time. We have lots of these things, but there is hope. Our candle hasn't yet burnt down, so I've got more time. <laughs> it's quite handy. Um, I'm devious. Um, God can solve problems. It may take time. You, you may not have the mountain removed, but you might have the grace of little inclines. One in ten is bearable. You just keep at it. You don't lose heart. You don't just give up. And God will get you there. One last story. North Wales. Lateral thinking again. We were on holiday there and we came to a place on the north coast where there was a little church on top of a hill. The hill was uh, at Landudno, Great Orm. And that church has been there for 1,400 years. There's a story, well, I really will have cut it short. There's a saint called Tudno who went there 1,400 years ago. And when you look at the website and the you know, page for that church today, it just sort of says that since then, men and women of faith have shared the love and peace of Christ to their children and their children and their children, something like 50 to 60 generations, one after the other. Nothing fancy, nobody famous, but it's still there. It's still there. And that was powerful to me. He was a little-known person. Why he went there, who knows? 600 and something AD. It's still there. There are other churches. You know, if you go to you know, Turkey, where the seven churches you know, of Revelation, they're all gone. Because at some point or another, like Ahaz, they took a non-faith decision. They went down a worldly route and basically you wither and you die. If you get disconnected as a branch from the main stem, you wither, you die. If you stay connected and the sap of the Holy Spirit keeps coming, or if you take one of these things and unplug it, there ain't no sound. That's your cue. Cut me off. <laughs> okay. But we have to stay connected. And then God will bring victory. This is what Advent's all about. It's big stuff. It's the whole universe. But God loves us enough to send his son because that was the only way of dealing with our hearts and gives us new hearts. We can live godly lives with his help not without it but with it we can let's do so and tell others about it too amen for more information about st saviors please visit our website at www.stsaviorssunbury.org.uk thank you